Hi, friends, and thank you for joining Christ Church Online. We are continuing our series on the Apostles' Creed with a hopeful message delivered by our senior pastor, the Reverend Dr. Jared Ott, called I Believe in the Forgiveness of Sins. Just a quick reminder that you can find the other messages in this series by heading to ccgf.org or by downloading the Christchurch app available on Android and iOS devices. Here is Pastor Jared with today's message. Thank you for listening. Amen. Thank you, John and Jesse. Powerful song as we look at our topic here this morning, Redeemed, the forgiveness of sins. This is a, this is a tough one. This is a deep subject this morning. So let's pray. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the fact that we are redeemed. We can say that with full confidence and assurance for those of us that have a relationship with you who have confessed our sin and our need of a Savior. We thank you that we are redeemed. Father, speak to us now. Father, we thank you for the fact that we can say that we have forgiveness of sins, but help us to be able to apply that to our life here today. I pray you speak to us, speak through me. I pray that my lips are your lips, my heart is your heart. That you impress upon us the message you want us to hear this morning. Help us to walk out of here feeling redeemed. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Well, if you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we are in our series, The Inner Workings of Worship, where we're going through various aspects of what we do and say here at Christ Church. Everything we do on a Sunday morning. Because we are a unique church. But we want you to understand that what we do here, our creeds, our songs, our prayers, all have a biblical basis to it. We aren't making these things up as we go along. And the creed goes back thousands of years when the folks after Christ wanted to get together. The church fathers said, what do we really believe? How do we take all the stuff that Christ said and the, and the, and the, and the gospel and the word and put it all together into a concise statement? And that's where we get the creed. And so we've been looking at that individually here the past few weeks and this has been tough they're very deep each one of these statements as john said last week are really a rifle shot you could spend probably weeks on each one of these statements they are tough i know as a as a preacher these are uh, wrestling with some tough issues we talked to dr ed glover was here talking a few weeks ago about the holy spirit we've been talking about uh jesus we've been talking about god the relationship with the trinity we talked about the end times the communion of saints Holy Catholic Church, what does that all look like? These are some tough issues that we wrestle with. And I've got to tell you, I have uh, over 14 plus years of schooling after high school in theology, and these things are tough issues to deal with, that we wrestle with. Some questions that we have. You know, as we get older, and as I get older, the more experience I have, the more knowledge I have, the, sometimes the, the dumber I feel. Because you really start wrestling with some of these and go, man, I, maybe I didn't know as much as I thought. It's great when children have questions about God. They seem so simple, don't they? They seem so simple. They're asking such deep theological questions. In fact, I had to uh, write an article uh, a few weeks back about ch- uh, questions that children ask God. And it was a letter, letters that children actually wrote to God. And they would ask questions like this. They would say, uh, Dear God, uh, instead of letting people die and having to make new ones, why don't you just keep the ones you have now? Love, Jane. Dear God. Why don't you have any holidays between Christmas and Easter? Love, Ginny. Dear God, do we come back as someone after we die? If so, please don't let me come back as Jennifer Horton because I hate her. Love, Denise. Dear God, do you ever make genies in a lamp like Aladdin? If so, could I have one? I'll give you anything except my money and my chess set. Love, Raphael. Dear God, I'm an American. What are you? Love, Robert. Dear God, thank you for my baby brother. 
But what I prayed for was a puppy. Love, Joyce. I love this one. Dear God, why did Cain kill Abel? Maybe Cain and Abel would have not killed each other so much if they had their own rooms. It worked for me and my brother. Love, Larry. Dear God, how do... How do you love everyone in the world? There's only four people in my family and I could never do it. Love Nan. And this is my favorite. Dear God, do you really indwell us like the Bible says? If so, I hope you like tacos because that's what you're getting tonight. Love Jane. Simple questions from children. When we get older, they get harder. Dear God, explain to me that I don't understand the doctrine of the Trinity. Dear God, what happens after we die? Dear God, does my salvation last forever? Dear God, why did your son have to die? Dear God, why do we confess our sins? Dear God, what does it look like when we're forgiven? Dear God, why don't I feel very clean after I confess? Dear God, dear God, dear God. We ask questions all the time. We wrestle with those this morning. We wrestle with one of those this morning, the atonement or the work on the cross, the forgiveness of sins, something that you could spend weeks on. We have just a few moments. You know, I, one of the questions that maybe you have, I had this when I was a child. It was a concern of mine. I, the question was, is if we've been forgiven, if we've been redeemed, like we just sang that song, then why do we confess? Does that mean that I'm not really saved if I still have sin? I remember dealing with that as a child, being worried about that, being so frightful and and, and scared that maybe I wasn't really saved because I still have sin. I still sinned. What does that look like? Why do I confess? And, And if I don't confess before Jesus comes back, does that mean there's sin in my life and I'm not truly redeemed? Maybe some of you wrestled with it. Maybe some of you, uh, and I recognize the fact that maybe some of you come from a Catholic background and, and you grew up your whole life just confessing. That's just something that you regularly did. Whether uh, you, you had regular times of it, you would go and see your priest or father and you'd go in and you'd what, have a time of confession. It's just what you did. Maybe you've never questioned it. Maybe you've never questioned it until now. Why do we confess if we've already been redeemed? Some of you are, I understand too, maybe are here for the first time or maybe have never stepped into a church or never understood why we do what we do. Why did we pray the prayer of confession? What does that even look like? What are they doing? And for those of you, that's where we start. The question is, is if we're going to be forgiven of our sins, why do we confess in the first place? That's where we start. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. 1 John 1.5. It says right there, we just read it, Tim read it for us this morning so eloquently. This is the message we have heard from him and declared to you, God is God in him. There is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. You know, I think about lights and darkness. I I think of those people that are really in a dark place. I think about the atrocities in this world. And in one sense, I get frustrated with people who, who are just living their lives the way they want to live and are you know, out there doing horrendous things, whether they're you're killing people or doing just horrible things. And I, I, I get frustrated, but I also feel so sad because they're obviously living in such dark places, aren't they? Such dark places. God is God. In him we have light. We know how to live. We know how to have joy, peace. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, he is in light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. All sin. There's so many people walking in darkness, it should motivate us to go and speak to them. As we talked about, hey, the end times are coming, we don't know when when they're coming, but we know Jesus is going to come back. And those that that know and love him, as we say in the creeds, there's going to be judgment. And those that know and love him are going to be with him. 
So it should motivate us, church, to go and speak to them. We understand from the very beginning that we all have sin and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, and that the wages of those sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's not, nothing that we can do. Many of us come in in our church, or maybe you, you've been in here, or you're thinking, as long as I can earn it. My question is, is, what does that look like? How could you ever earn back all the sin in your life? How could you ever be good enough? We couldn't. The wages of sin is death. It's not about works. So that no one could boast, it says. It's by the grace of God. Grace, sending his son to die in our place. We deserve to die. Christ died for us. That's where we start. So what do we do? We do what it says in Acts 3.19. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, it says. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Then it says in Ephesians 1, in him we have the redemption through his blood. That's the song that John and Jesse just said. We have the redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, and according with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. In him we have the redemption of his blood. Church, if you get anything else out of today, if you've never given your life over to the Lord, you have to start there by confessing that we are in need of a Savior. And there's nothing we can do. It's the blood of Jesus that covered the sin. It's wonderful to hear. It's my hope for each and every one of you here this morning. So when it comes to forgiveness, when we look at this passage, when it comes to forgiveness, we first have to understand we must confess our sin. We must confess our sin. But the question is, is why do we confess it one time or is it a continual confession? You know, there is a theology out there. I was talking to Pastor Jamie about this week because he knows some folks that believe this. And it's a very subtle thing. And you have to be very careful, church. Because there is a theology out there that would say, do not do regular confession of sin. You may say, well, that's crazy. I've never heard that. There are churches, there are institutions that would say, you should confess once. And if you continually confess, what you're doing is nullifying the work of Christ on the cross. Because you don't actually believe that you're saved. Well, i got to tell you right now, that is a very heretical statement. It's a very unbiblical statement. It's also a very dangerous statement. Because if you know that and you feel that and you believe that, then that would say to you, well, I've confessed my sin, God's washed me clean, now I can live however I want to live. And my sin has no consequences and God doesn't look ill at my sin, he doesn't get displeased with that sin. It's a heretical statement. So how do we justify? How do we justify Ephesians chapter 1? We have redemption through his blood. And the passage we just read from Tim, 1 John, that when we confess he's faithful and just and forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, what you have to understand first and foremost is that when we confess, when we come to a point of confession and realize we need of a Savior, that is judicial forgiveness. Our past, present, future sins are, are, have been forgiven. And we don't have that penalty of death. For the wages of sin is death. We don't have that. It's been wiped clean. Totally wiped clean. We don't have that, that, that death penalty on us. Christ already took it. We're wiped clean. When it comes to First John, when we confess regularly, when we come here on Sunday mornings, we confess. When we come to the Lord's table and we confess because we want to come in a worthy manner, that's also a relational forgiveness. It's a relational forgiveness. It's not just, just, a, just judicial forgiveness, it's a relational forgiveness. Let me, let me give you an example. When I have two children, and uh, um, 
as many of you may think pastor's kids are always the best, they're not. Uh, they do, do wrong. I have children, they do wrong. So, for example, if my son does something wrong, if he violates my rules or my expectations, it is a discouragement to me. The relationship suffers, but he's still my son, and I still love him. And it's hindered until he admits, hey, what I did was wrong. And then the relationship is restored. It's relational forgiveness. Judicial forgiveness, that one time when we come and realize that we need a savior, that Christ paid the penalty on the cross, he meant it. And that's forever. It doesn't go away. That's forever there. But there are times when we come on Sunday mornings and we confess our sins. It even says, when Jesus told his disciples, how do we pray? And we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Let me give you a great passage that really illustrates this probably pretty clearly. Passage probably very familiar to many of you. John 13. It was when Jesus was with his disciples before the, the time of, uh, right before the time of his death, and they're, they're eating, and they're having their, their supper. And so it says in verse 4, it says, So he, Jesus, got up from the, the meal and took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And then, then, Lord, Simon Peter says, not just my feet, but my hands, my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. You are clean, no, not every one of you. Peter was clean. He had the bath. He didn't need to be doused. He just accumulated dirt on his feet. That bath is that illustration, that judicial forgiveness. Justification, then, is the act of declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. That's what we talk about. I am justified. Just as if I never have sinned. Justification is that act. Declaring or making righteous in the sight of God. We're clean. But then there's the matter of sanctification. What's sanctification? It's the act or process of acquiring sanctity or being made or becoming holy. You don't need to be justified again. For those of you who have a relationship who said, I am in need of a savior. I, I confess my sins, Lord, come into my life. That's justification. You, don't, you aren't justified again. I've heard someone said, yes, I've been justified again. I go, well, that doesn't technically make sense. You can't be justified again. You're justified once and for all. But sanctification is a process. When you're asking a, a couple about their relationship, husband and wife, you don't say, how's your wedding going? Hey, how's your wedding? It's going well for you? No. Wedding was a one-time act. You say, how's your marriage? When people asked me, they said, uh, Jared, tell me, tell me about your conversion. I said, well, how long do you have? I got some time. I'll tell you about my salvation. My salvation is that one-time act. That's what justification is. 
So for those of you who made that confession to the Lord, understand that that is justified. You are totally redeemed. And it can't be reversed. That's a miracle. That's, that's, a, that's a praise God moment. We've been delivered from that. By this, delivered from the death penalty. But we aren't delivered necessarily from the temptation of sin around us. Many of us don't fool yourself in thinking that you, we are all holy now and we'll never get into sin. There are consequences of sin. And sin displeases God. Sin displeases God. I want to be a church to make sure that we let you know that when we talk about sin, it is a displeasure to God. And we want to, my hope is that we are all in the process of this sanctification. But sin displeases God. We look at Moses back in the Old Testament. Moses was a, was a man justified, but the Lord didn't allow him to enter into the promised land. And it says, the Lord was angry with Moses. Aaron, at the, foot of the, at the foot of Mount Sinai, in Deuteronomy, they had the golden calf. It says the Lord was angry with Aaron. Solomon. It says the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord. We look at Peter. What does Jesus say to Peter? Peter says, get behind me, Satan. He was displeased when the disciples said, don't bring those children here. He says, no, bring them here. He was displeased and rebuked James and John. On and on. Sin displeases God. Sin displeases God. And sin also has consequences, church. Many of us think that as we confess our sins, he's going to, he is faithful and just, which is absolutely true but that there is no consequences of sins. And that's not true. There are consequences of sin. We see that all the time. We throw a, a rock into a pond, there's ripples. We see that all the time in marriages. The anger, the frustration. Marriages ripped apart. Relationships ripped apart. Jobs taken away because of, of sin. David is a clear example of that. When he saw Bathsheba, he committed a sin. Took him as his wife. And then what happens? There's consequences to that. That her husband was killed. They had Absalom. Absalom then grew up and he performed horrendous things. Defiled David's wives in front of him. And he was killed. There's consequences to sin. But when you confess, it's not about mitigating the consequences. It's about restoring that relationship. Restore unto me what? The joy of my salvation. David is pleading in Psalms. This sin is ever before me. My sin is ever before me. He's pleading his heart out to God. And in Psalm 53, he's pleading his heart out to him. Create in me a pure heart, O God. Renew a right steadfast in me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Sin has consequences, but when we confess it, God shows us compassion. Shows us compassion. Shows us that joy. That's when we come and confess our sins. We're restoring that relationship. We're restoring that joy. And you need to feel that. Because when it comes to forgiveness, we are cleansed of our sin. When it comes to forgiveness, secondly, we are cleansed of our sin. It says in 
1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and purifies us from all unrighteousness. Do you feel that, church? Psalm 103 is a great passage. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Hebrews 10, 17, he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful? That when we sin, when we confess it, he loves us, restores us, and he remembers it no more. I remember talking with somebody a while back who was dealing with all kinds of stuff, was, you know, knew and loved the Lord, but was into all kinds of things, one thing after another. We're talking about getting involved here at the church and serving. They said, I could never do that. I could never serve. I could never do that. I said, why? I said, well, because... I have all this, this stuff in my life. I have all this baggage. I said, have you confessed that? Yeah. Do you, do, you, do you feel like you've been cleansed? Yeah, but it's still in my mind. I said, well, that's not fair. It's not fair that you're going to remember it, but God says he's going to remember it no more. Some of us are, are riddled with guilt over our past lives, things that we've been into. We go, there's no way God could ever, ever use me. We talk, Pastor Barry's talking about the ministry class, getting involved in ministry. Some people would say, I, I could never do that. It's not because of time. It's because you don't feel like you ever could. Oh, church, let me tell you. When we confess, he's faithful and just and forgives us and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. Church, God wants to use you so mightily. He's gifted so many of you to be used. And you're stuck in this fear of Guilt that you can never get out of. That's why one author said, as a result of our sin, our spiritual walk has a slight limp. Oh, we're still faithful. We do all the right things, say all the right words, but when we begin to make strides, just when your wings begin to spread, you prepare to soar like an eagle. That ghost of your sin of your past appears. It emerges from the swamps of your soul and causes you to question yourself. Could I really lead a small group? Could I really serve in a ministry? Could I really teach a Bible class? How dare you ask him to come to church? What if he finds out about the time you fell away? Who are you to offer help? Those ghosts, whiplash, words of accusation, deafening your ears to the promise of the cross. It flaunts your failures, blocks your vision of the sun, and leaves you in the shadow of doubt. Leaves you in the shadow of doubt. Oh, church, there's sin. We're... (laughs) I'm a sinner, Pastor Barry's a sinner. And if we ever got to a point where we say, you know what, we could never minister, I could never be a pastor because I have sinned, that, that would be crazy. I worked with a Silver Ring thing for a long time, sexual abstinence program that's going to be coming back to here in our property, and we talk to parents all the time about talking to your kids about it, about waiting, about abstaining. And one of the things that we understand that parents, a lot of parents don't want to talk to their kids because they think, well, I didn't wait, so how could I ever tell my child to wait? It's crazy. God remembers them no more. So why do you hold on to them? Why do you hold on to them? God wants to use you, church. Are you holding on to that guilt in your life to think, man, what if they find out? What about that horrid lie? What about that business trip I took that one time? What about how I cheated on that one test? What about that date that one time? What about that jealousy? What about that habit I have? Oh, 
what if they find out? I could never ask my neighbors to come to church. I could never ask anybody to come to church because what if they find out about thy sin? And again, I tell you, that's not fair. God doesn't remember it. You need to wipe it out and feel clean, feel cleansed, just as First John just said. He's faithful and just and will forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. He still wants to use you. Sin still creeps in, but he still wants to use you. This week I was at a retreat, and uh, we were listening to a, uh, a speaker talk, and uh, he was talking about his collections. And there I was sitting next to a, a dear friend of mine, and uh, someone that I know and love. He's got a great relationship with the Lord, leads a small group. And the guy was talking about his collections, his stamp collection. So I leaned over to this gentleman, and I said, what do you collect? He says, I collect fear. <laughs> I collect doubt. I collect worry. So that's my collection. But then we talked about how, praise God, God's still using them. Because he didn't let the sins of his past affect him for the ministry in the future. Is that you this morning, church? Do you feel cleansed? Do you feel free? Because when we say in the creeds that I believe in the forgiveness of sins, we should believe it. The forgiveness of sins that have been washed away and redeemed. Oh, that's my prayer. That's my hope. And that's why we say the creed. So I'm going to ask you to stand now as we say the creed together. That powerful creed of what we really believe. Our hope is that we can say this with full confidence and assurance that I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, He rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Do you believe it, church? Do you believe it? Some of you have become so closed up in your life, you don't want to connect with anybody else here in the church because you're fearful that your sins, your past is going to be exposed. And I'll say, you'll never connect to our church. We want you to be part of our family. We want you to connect with others, whether it's in a small group or in a serving ministry. We want you to connect. We want you to open up. We want you to feel that forgiveness that when we confess, he's faithful, he's just, forgives us. That's where the cleansing comes. But there's one more. Not only do we confess, not only do we feel cleansed, but we got to feel when it comes to forgiveness that we can conquer our sin as well. And that's the third point, that we can conquer our sin. I love what... It says in the next chapter, 1 John 2, verse 1, it says, My dear children, I write this to you that, so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an, an advocate with our Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. Some of you wrestle with the idea that, you know what, I come every day and I, I, I confess my sin, but I'm still struggling with that same sin. 
The beauty about this whole thing is that as, as we go through the process of sanctification, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. He's our advocate. He's our help. With the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the one we come to. So when we confess, we say, Lord Jesus, I confess that I've, I've done wrong. I've sinned. I need your help. And as we recognize it, as we confess it, as we feel that cleansing, we realize too that we can conquer that sin in our life. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thank you for what you teach us in your word. I thank you for the fact that you do forgive us. That there's nothing that we can do on our own. So, Father, I pray that you be with that one, two, maybe three people, people in here who, who have maybe never have made that commitment to you. Never realized the, the fullness of what it means to confess our sins and have you as Lord and Savior. I pray that you be with them right now. If that is you, it's just you standing here this morning. Know that God sees you. God loves you. He wants you to come to him. It's as simple as praying that prayer. Lord Jesus. I understand I'm a, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. I pray that you save me. I want to have a relationship with you. So come into my life and be the Lord of my life. And thank you that I am now justified, that that's immediate, and that I have that relationship with you. Be with me on my journey now. And Father, for all of us, I pray as we continue in our journey, we will be continually be renewed by you to be in your likeness. And Father, as we come now to your communion table, Father, we remember what you did for us on the cross. Your death, your work, your atonement. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus.